0: The Earthmen, fools that they be, think it lifeless. Yet even they stand guard over it night and day, as if sensing that, if we but will it, the sentries shall live and they must perish. Can you see it, Great One? He is like a living engine of destruction, loosed in an anthill. He heeds but one command. He has but one goal— from which not all the power on Earth can stay him. That goal? Kill Captain Marvel, and all who stand beside him.
1: Welcome to Artifacts of Infinity, where we dive into the infinite abyss of Marvel's cosmic universe. I'm Jonathan Hudson.
0: And I'm Everett Christensen. This is episode 8, and today is part 1 of our kree Scroll War coverage, the entirety of which covers Avengers Volume 1, number 89 through 97. We will be covering 89 through 91 in this episode.
1: And now, with all the pieces in place, we finally begin the event that marks the culmination of our coverage to date. Cree Scroll, Captain Marvel, Thor, the Fantastic Four, the Inhumans... But for those of you joining us for the very first time, Artifacts of Infinity is a hybrid continuity explainer podcast. We don't cover issues in order, but focus on the cosmic aspects of mainline continuity and foundational stories to help people find Cosmic Marvel more accessible.
0: This coverage is of particular note as we go into the Spring Cosmic Event Empire, which will heavily feature the history of both the now-unified Kree and Skrull Empires. It all starts here, so let us begin. Chapter 1, Avengers number 89, The Only Good Alien. Written by Roy Thomas, penciled by Sal Buscema, inked by Sam Granger, Lettered by Sam Rosen, edited by Stan Lee, cover by Sal Buscema and Sam Rosen.
1: This cover kicks off the event with a bang. Captain Marvel, legendary warrior of the Kree, is strapped into a Kirby-esque electric chair where he's seemingly being executed while Quicksilver, Scarlet Witch, Vision, and Rick Jones look upon him in seeming horror from a window. The caption declares, the only good alien is a dead alien.
0: They write songs about the moon over Miami. But it isn't the moon that's on your mind tonight, alien. It's the shadows, isn't it? Yes, the shadows. There's no escaping them, you know. Not anywhere on Earth. So you might as well turn, face them, like a beast at bay. Thus begins the narration in media res as we see Captain Marvel hiding himself in a trench coat and skulking through the Florida night. Eyes peer at him from the darkness, eyes that as soon as he turns reveal themselves to be The Avengers, Quicksilver, Scarlet Witch, and The Vision.
1: Quicksilver, Pietro Maximoff, is in his blue-on-blue uniform with a diagonal lightning motif, while his sister, the Scarlet Witch, Wanda Maximoff, is in her classic red-on-off-red uniform with flowing cape and M-shaped headpiece. Vision is largely recognizable as well in green with a red face, but his accents are yellow, the gloves, shoes, belt, cape, and collar. The group tries to convince Marvell to come with them, but he's not having it.
0: Captain Marvel strips off his overcoat to reveal his red and black costume with a yellow starburst on the chest. This should be pretty familiar if you've seen the MCU Captain Marvel movie, because in this era they used a lot of blue as the highlight for places that would otherwise be deep blacks, but instead show muscle definition. Mar is an interstellar warrior of the alien Kree, so when the Avengers attempt to grab him, he quickly socks Quicksilver and lays the vision out. When Wanda attempts to hex him, the captain just leaps away, stating that he would never hit a lady.
1: He even admits it's an Earth prejudice, which is interesting. Marvel attempts to catch his breath on a rooftop, but he's ambushed by a ray gun. It's Rick Jones, perennial sidekick to the stars, who knew right where Marvel was going to be. After all, after Captain Marvel was stranded in the Negative Zone, he and Rick Jones shared a connection through the Negabands that allowed them to swap places for a time.
0: With the captain unconscious, they bring him back to the Avengers Quinjet. Wanda and The Vision have a brief conversation about how mutants and aliens are both unwelcome on Earth, and that sends the Android into a bit of a funk.
1: A bit of a funk? The Vision's emo is heck here. He says nothing, this man robot, for Wanda has her brother, and even Marvell his memories. But what has an android save the emptiness of the present and the dread of endless tomorrows? And man, that's some deep thinking and some big feels for Vision, which I really like because his, his voice is emotionless, but it really helps show the deep emotion within him that he's experiencing.
0: Yeah, I agree. The Vision is a really interesting font of melodrama in this era.
1: That reverie interrupted by the landing of the Quinjet at Cape Kennedy Hospital, where the Avengers rush Captain Marvel in to see Dr. Donaldson, who orders them to strap the alien into the decontamination chair immediately. It's a desperate gamble, and no one's sure if Marvel will make it. Rick Jones in particular feels responsible as the energy of the device, as seen on the cover, crackles into energetic life.
0: It's at this point that we begin the majority of the issue in flashback of the situation at hand with Mar and Rick and their adventures. Apparently, the captain had seen Reed Richards escape from the negative zone, which is a reference to Fantastic Four 109, not the events of 62, uh, and thus he convinced Rick to take him to the Baxter building. After swapping Adams with Rick Jones, Captain Marvel broke in while the Fantastic Four were outfighting cyclop which unbeknownst to him called the avengers to respond
1: in reed's lab marvell managed to open up the portal to the negative zone freeing rick jones just in time for the avengers to show up there's this great panel where this figure cloaked in shadow and kirby crackle emerges from behind rick jones a nihilist the living death has escaped
0: his escape, however, was short-lived as the Vision ordered Rick to reverse the transmission to the negative zone and then tricked Nihilus back through the portal. But all that fighting gave Mar a chance to escape to the Quinjet and head to Miami.
1: That's when Quicksilver noticed a sensor going off. Apparently Captain Marvel's potentially absorbed a lethal dose of negative radiation. Vision's even worried that this might cause a chain reaction that destroys the world. They have only three hours to find him, but thankfully, as the flashback ends, they make it in time.
0: Well, they got him in the chair, but it seems like they don't have enough power. The captain is losing the battle against the radiation until Vision suggests that they tap into his reserves of solar energy. The Vision gets his own chair and beams the energy into Mars' chair, Till the doctor calls it off. Both men, android and alien, are terribly still. But Dr. Donaldson is confident that they'll both pull through. Rick remarks that all Marvell wanted to do was go home, but he may never see it again.
1: Little does he know that at that exact moment, in the Hall of the Supreme Intelligence of the Kree, a terrible tragedy is occurring. Ronan the Accuser has taken over the Kree Empire. You may remember Ronan from episodes 2 and 6, but if you don't, he's an authoritarian pro-Kree ethno-fascist with the intergalactic power of the Kree at his disposal now. His first act with his tyrannical power is to activate good Old Century 459 once again to kill Captain Marvel and anyone allied with him. Gosh,
0: I just feel bad for Century 459 by now. He was abandoned on Earth for thousands of years, oversaw the most momentous day of Adelan's history, tangoed with the Fantastic Four, got wrecked by Captain Marvel, and now this? It's hard out here for a century.
1: No joke. The century awakes and begins to wreak havoc on the military base where so many momentous events have occurred, leading us into the next issue, Chapter 2, Avengers 90, Judgment Day. This is written by Roy Thomas, penciled by Sal Busema, inked by Sal Busema, lettered by Mike Stevens, edited by Stan Lee, with a cover by Sal Busema and Stan Rosen.
0: So the cover of 90 has the three Avengers we've been following thus far and Rick Jones in the middle ground, being menaced by a shadowy, shaggy figure in the foreground that looms over the prone body of Janet Van Dyne, the Wasp. Though, I guess she's Janet Pym in this era? The background and the foliage are that of a tropical sunset, and the cover declares, Death lies waiting at the top of the
1: world. The title page on the next page is rad. Hard agree. The hulking figure of Century 459 is breaking through the bleed and into the panel as we get a shot of the hospital room where Captain Marvel remains unconscious. The negative space draws the eye immediately, and highlights the title above, where a script stands out from the bottom corner. Read this soul-searing tale with care, for the fate of two worlds hangs thereby, and one at least must die.
0: So I find this next sequence fascinating. The sentry is hesitant to attack, not knowing what the Avengers are about, and this gives the Scarlet Witch a chance to use her hex power. This causes the ceiling to collapse in on Sentry 459, setting up for a barrage of Quicksilver hits. Uh, I've got to say, I'm more used to Wanda's hacks being either more random, more uncontrolled, or more obviously magical than what's depicted here.
1: After Quicksilver is caught by a backhand, Vision is up next. It's android on android violence, and their combat forces Vision to become more and more dense till they both fall through the floor. This gives us a great panel where the sentry rises from the hole in the floor that gives quite the sensation of majestic might. He scoops up Captain Marvel, breaks through the wall, and then teleports away to complete his new orders. Plan out of this.
0: Carol shows up at this point. That's Carol Danvers of later Captain Marvel herself. She shows up as the head of security of the military base here and gets incident reports from everyone, which... That follows. This then triggers a two-page montage that covers a whole lot of ground we've examined in the podcast. It's a brief summary of the events thus far and it really fills in the gaps for those for whom this comic may be the first. I like this bit and bits like it in my comics. I think it's incredibly important that they retain the kind of accessible nature that this montage belies.
1: Rick is feeling bad about the ultimate fate of Marvell before Vision reminds him that those who are superheroes are often misfits. Captain America is an anachronism, Thor is a space god, and Iron Man is still hiding his identity in this era.
0: The Avengers return to their base just long enough to get a message from an Avenger named Goliath. He's just gotten a call from Hank and Janet Pym. Uh, there's some trouble brewing up in Alaska, and it seems like a big deal, so the Avengers spring into action. It's to the tune of a uh, Jarvis-based sight gag. He's offering them tea, and they just bowl past him in a panel, leaving the poor butler upended with tea splattered all around him.
1: We cut to Alaska, where Goliath has found Hank and Jan's icebreaker. Jan's beside herself as she meets... Wait, Clint?
0: Oh, yeah, Clint. Clint Barton is Goliath in this era, and I totally forgot all about that.
1: He's about 10 feet tall, incredibly muscled, and is wearing a kind of leather harness around his chest, while only his shoulders and face are covered by the costume.
0: It's a rather leather daddy look for Clint. Eh, Your mileage may vary. Now, I'm partial to giant men, and I still think Mar is the hottest guy in this issue.
1: Well, a teary-eyed Janet relays that while investigating the impact of oil drilling on Alaskan wildlife, they lost contact with a government outpost. After getting into their costumes, Yellowjacket and Wasp flew over to see what the deal was. There, near to the Arctic Circle, a structure was rising above the seemingly tropical jungle.
0: A foot-long dragonfly buzzed them from the jungle, and Hank used his helmet to take control of it. The pair rode it close to the outskirts of the jungle when Hank figured out what was going on. Instead of using his words, he knocked Jen out with a backhand and tied her to the dragonfly and just sent it back to the ship.
1: This panel stopped me in my tracks, and I had to figure out if this was pre or post the beating. It's ten years before. What gives? Also, they've been married for 30 or 40 issues at this point. Ugh, it's just so frustrating to see
0: yeah I cannot conscious uh, the like casual intimate partner violence that goes on in this era and there is kind of a shocking amount of it so because of course that isn't enough Clint then turns around and immediately condescends to Janet who points at the dragonfly corpse saying look Clint at the dragonfly that brought me here, then perished from the cold it couldn't stand. Does that look like a bad dream? A woman's hysterical fantasy? So, Goliath takes off, telling long-standing Avenger, the Wasp, she needs to stay behind.
1: As soon as Clint's off, though, he reveals that the reason he can't work with women is he's just recently broken up with Natasha Romanov, the Black Widow. He's still got a bad four, but Wanda's face pops up in his daydream. This era of Avengers seems really soap opera.
0: He's barely into it when he's attacked by some kind of beast. This three-toed monstrosity really reminded me of the Grendel from Larry Niven and Jerry Pornell's Legacy of Herod books. Clint knocks the beast out handily, only to be blasted in the back by the universal weapon of Ronan, the public accuser.
1: The Avengers have finally arrived and they have brought Janet with them. She's monofocused on finding Hank and, as such, is taken by surprise by a beam from what turns out to be Century 459. It seems Goliath's been brainwashed off-panel because he stands next to the Kree android. When the Avengers move to attack, Goliath bars their way. The wasp flies up and begins to use her stingers. She's had more experience than anyone at tangling with giant men.
0: Phrasing. Well, it's a chaotic melee between the Sentry, Goliath, and our Avengers, and the Wasp gets knocked out. We then cut to Ronan and Captain Marvell in the alien structure where, right on schedule, Ronan decides to monologue his evil plan. He's going to turn back the evolution of the planet Earth by a million years, eradicating humanity. As a xenofascist, he's concerned about a race that can go from steam power to atomic power in less than a century and grow such superpowered threats as the Fantastic Four and the Avengers. The ascendancy of man is a threat to Kree hegemony. Then, for the final twist, he's already turned Hank Pym into a caveman who is approaching the unconscious wasp. Wrapping up today's episode, we have Chapter 3. Avengers 91 Take One Giant Step Backward Written by Roy Thomas Penciled by Sal Buscema Inked by Sal Buscema Lettered by Artie Simic Edited by Stan Lee And a cover by Sal Buscema
1: This cover is a shot of our Avengers, Quicksilver, Scarlet Witch, and Vision from behind. Above them looms Century 459 and Goliath, while Captive Captain Marvel and his jailer, Ronan Public Accuser, occupy the left-hand side of the cover. It's probably the least interesting cover out of the three.
0: So we open upon a savage Hank Pym about to club his wife to the following narration. Once that raging brute was a man. His name, Henry Pym. An Avenger himself, called Yellowjacket. Yet when that war club descends upon the girl's head, he will be living proof of the victory of our de-evolutionary beams over the will of mankind. The final triumph of Cree science over the upstart human race. But hold, he pauses... Does some residue of humanity remain, locked somewhere beneath that misshapen skull? Is there yet hope for the pitiable Earthlings? And with that, Cave Hank decides that the unconscious Janet is just really pretty, so he carries her off.
1: Ronan is convinced that it's just the savage desire to mate, but is interested in more tests. Captain Marvel, who is already watching all of this, provokes Ronan into another round of monologues. He goes on about hurling the evolution of Earth backwards and assuming the dominion of the Kree, but we already knew all of that.
0: So Rick Jones is apparently along for this ride, so he chucks a rock at Sentry 459's face, which Wanda then uses her hex powers on. Her power changes the stone into magnetic alloys that trap the sentry sensors. This gives them a chance to take down Goliath. I'd like to take a moment here to talk about Quicksilver's fighting style. He just runs at people and then curls up into a ball and bounces off of them. He's grabbing his legs around the knees. It looks really ineffectual.
1: Well, also there's earlier where he just runs up and starts punching the sentry like... You'd have very quickly broken hands.
0: Can I don't know why Quicksilver doesn't use weapons? Like, ever.
1: So anyway, Vision puts his hand in Clint's chest and slowly increases his density from an intangible state. This is horrific, and it does not Goliath out. Just in time as well, because the sentry frees himself and the battle swiftly goes pear-shaped. Century 459 takes out both Vision and Scarlet Witch in a manner of panels, forcing Pietro and Rick Jones to beat a hasty retreat. There's
0: some pathos for the century here that I like. It doesn't hate these Avengers, nor is it proud. It can only obey. So it brings them back to Ronan, who ties them up in energy bonds that nullify their powers. As soon as Viz and Wanda wake up, they go in for a kiss since they're both unharmed. It's a bit sudden, but I was feeling it till Vision decided to go full self-hatred and reject the intimate gesture of his teammate on the grounds of being a synthetic life form.
1: Ronan totally ships them, it seems, because apparently that side alone was worth the trip, or so he says.
0: Yeah, I'm not sure what this is about. Ronan seems overjoyed and Vision seems tortured for reasons I can't quite grasp. Now... I know that he's a, like, synthesoid android that has at this point the basic mental imprint patterns of Simon Williams to, like, guide his morality and actions, but I don't see why anyone would deny themselves love on the basis of you have a different kind of processor than your, like, loved like i've never really gotten the like depression pathos between vision and scarlet witch because like just because you're not a flesh and blood human doesn't mean you're not a person and that seems
1: really obvious to me take it from data go for the romance exactly Exactly. We've returned to Hank and Janet. Apparently, the cavemen made from the Arctic outpost have decided to take Janet as a mate, and so Cave Pam has to protect his wife from them. Not all of the Avengers combat training is gone, it seems, as even three versus one Cave Hank triumphs for his love.
0: Of course, captured Captain Marvel and Ronan are watching all of this, so Ronan shows off his attempt to turn all of life on Earth into amoeba in a really horrific set of panels that include some great glass distortion effects on his face. Outside, Rick and Quicksilver make their way into the Kree base. Quicksilver picks up a metal bar, finally, and, using his speed, drills through the wall, and there's an interesting bit here where pietro is like there are those who think my mutant speed is a useless weapon and like no i don't think anyone thought that the more efficient a drive is the more efficient a weapon it makes and larry niven said that
1: from there it all goes down really quickly Ronan goes to Wanda to torture Vision, Quicksilver disarms him, Ronan calls on the Sentry, Rick Jones grabs Marvell's Unibeam and destroys the main console as Quicksilver is getting beamed down. But as the confrontation heads to its inevitable climax and the base is going to be destroyed, everyone is interrupted. The entire Kree galaxy is under attack from the Skrulls.
0: In his capacity and responsibility as supremor of the Kree, Ronan is forced to teleport away to deal with the greater threat than the Avengers. But this leaves the sentry behind. The sentry gets another sad farewell here and we won't be seeing him again for another five years or so. There's nothing left for our heroes to do but escape the quickly sinking Kree base. And, thankfully, the de-evolution root rays have seemed to warn off on Hank. So, the day is saved.
1: Hank Pym is shaken by all of this and resigns from the Avengers, saying he was a dead weight in this adventure. Janet chooses the same as her husband.
0: And that seems a little odd to me. You get hit by one evil ray and you just stop heroing?
1: You know, it was a bad day for him.
0: Overall, this uh, it represents the first three issues of the Cree scroll war and they're all really Cree focused we have a lot of focus on uh captain marvel and even though he spends most of that time incapacitated in one sense or another i'm happy to see him here
1: i always really like seeing him pop up too he's a character that i've really come to love over the years but i think the theme of these issues is as much as Kree is bonkers, these issues are wild. De-evolution rays, cavemen, uh, beating your spouse—I mean, it's it's crazy. Yeah.
0: So the, this whole era of Avengers is like it's really busy and it's really loud, and the melodrama is like abrupt in how it starts and stops i'm not really sure exactly what the like how this read at the time but to me it seems quite jarring
1: one of the things that stuck out to me is like i grew up on x-men is what i read and i never really got into the avengers and i always kind of in my head had decided that they were probably too boring and i don't know why that is But, like, this is every bit as nuts as some of the stuff that, uh, you know, the X-Men get up to in, you know, in in their various and sundry locations that they hit.
0: Yeah, this definitely is going all over the points of canon. Uh, And then, uh, lastly, I just wanted to bring up, we're out of the 60s, you guys. It's finally 1971, and we've escaped from the 60s.
1: It was a long trek through the 60s, but I'm glad we went ahead and went through what we went through to establish a good groundwork.
0: Yeah, and honestly, it made me read some stories that I would never really have read otherwise, and it gives me a lot more of a basis of understanding, especially as we move forward into what seems like a more like cosmic-centric like era for Marvel because they've pretty much talked about doing the next big phase of the MCU, really focusing on cosmic stories. And I don't think they're going to miss out on the opportunity for cross promotion.
1: Yeah, definitely. This seems like there's a lot in here to be, to be mined for, for those diamonds of, of stories that they have in this in this older catalog where I mean, they have to know that not a lot of people dive into the 60s era stuff uh, just because of how different it is and how uh, out of step it feels a lot of time. So there's a lot they can pull here to work with that, even though it's been on page since the 60s, would still be quite surprising uh, to use.
0: Yeah, I agree. I agree with that wholeheartedly. Uh, I would like to see more of some of these classic characters, like, get another go around. Because I, you know, I don't think that, like, the centuries have been fully tapped for their creative potential yet, you know? Like, I think that there are, like, lots more that we could do with some of these early things that just... Don't come up again.
1: We were talking about this a little bit before we started recording, but like one thing that came to mind for me was I, you know, these centuries, they talk about how they're all over the place. They have, um, you know, they have hundreds or even thousands of them all over the galaxy. Personally, I think it'd be hilarious and awesome if we find out that the centuries end up kind of coming together because they're clearly sentient. Hey, we would love to see it. This is where we normally put our further reading section and where we go to places these books have been collected and trade and give our opinion on where you can go to read more stories with the same characters or plot elements in them.
0: However, this time we're going to wait until the end of the arc to provide all of that and it'll be more robust than usual when we finally get there.
1: If sacred places are spared the ravages of war, then make all places sacred. And if the holy peoples are to be kept harmless for more than make all peoples holy. This has been Artifacts of Infinity. I'm Jonathan.
0: And I'm Everett.
1: And this is edited by Everett Christensen. We will see you in the infinite cosmos.